Welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. Like we sit at this moment, I think there was a report uh, about eight years ago citing that there's about 18 million salespeople in the good old US of A. And a lot of them are going to lose their jobs. And it was like, that cannot be true. How could that possibly happen? And then chat GTP kind of made us realize that AI is a real thing and it's useful. Uh, and today we have an expert on sales, how to do better and how to cope with this world where AI is coming to take our jobs, but more importantly, coming to help us be more effective. Chet, the sales doctor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Umar, for having me. Excited to be here. And yeah, let's let's demystify some of this AI talk and also uh, discuss how you can possibly leverage AI. Absolutely, because I think AI has such great promise. I'll tell you about an event we had coming up. It was coming up in New York. Uh, rather than struggle with it, we went to AI and said, we're holding this event in New York. What are the key things that we need to focus on? It told us some of the things that we didn't understand. It uh, went deeper into the subject and we went to execute and we still didn't do a good job. So AI is a good tool, but you need to execute yourself as well. So it just was a great lesson in AI is not the be all end all. You still need to have strategy and tactics and figure out how to use this tool to be uh, more effective. Yeah, here's the trick about AI. Um, think about how many people in 1995, 1997 were still saying the internet was a fad. Um, but also think about how long it took for people to stop using fax machines in their normal line of business and move strictly over to email. Uh, now email is the new junk mail. We get tons of email all day long, whether it's sales emails, whether it's offers, whatever that might be. I myself have four different emails so I can just manage different things. One for business, one for personal, one mm. for offers and giveaways. You know what I mean? One for financials that just is strictly for that. Um, so again, I don't think anybody should be concerned right now. I think a lot of companies are seeing how fast AI is moving and thinking we can move at that relative speed. That means we should start laying off salespeople, marketing assistants, RevOps professionals, all these kinds of things. But I get on calls all day long and people still don't really know how to use AI. They think it's like, oh, how can I use it to write sales emails? How can I use it as a sales coach? How can I use it to create content? And then they hack it together with other point solutions to try to generate some form of, of aptitude. The great thing about AI is actually really rooted in market research, the ability to do mm -hmm. things faster than we can, and ideate and create. And that way, then you add the human element and you refine and then implement. So it gives you time back to be able to create strategy, create go-to-market strategies, measure, test different things, and give that heavy lifting when you're stuck there with writer's block thinking about, I want to write this abstract for a webinar we want to do for current customers about how XYZ solution can better solve this problem, this new feature we're releasing. Think about how much time a content marketer spends writing out that webinar abstract. Hmm. Plug it into a relative tool, learn to use the tool, 
because that's the other thing, garbage in, garbage out. So you're only as good as your prompt. This is why Meta has job listings for a quarter of a million dollars a year for prompt engineers and prompt scientists, because there's a huge art and science behind actually getting the results that you want, getting them as effective and as close to near perfect as you can, but it's still not going to be out of the box. So that's on the process side. Let's talk about the sales side. I'm sure everybody's seen the Tesla AI customer service call or sales customer service call. Uh, that's been floating around on the internet. I've been seeing things from some uh, outsourced SDR appointment booking sales agencies where they're calling on behalf of the founder, the CEO, or the sales leader saying, I'm an assistant for this person. I'm actually an AI assistant, da, 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 like calling it out. And, yeah. and it's pretty darn good. It's a little scary. Um, so I do think that in the next five years, we could definitely, especially with how big robocalls are, spam calls, think we could see a big elimination with cold calling and just see people put their efforts i mean what people convert it two to three percent on outbound people just putting money into ai tools that can basically do that for them you know what's interesting chet is that uh uh your ai tools will talk to my ai tools receiving the call and us humans will be out of the equation altogether yeah probably not in our lifetime but that could be a future state so what i encourage you is if you're in a role you're heavily reliant on cold calling for your source of revenue. Let's say you're an SDR or a BDR, mm-hmm. ADR, whatever DR, or a full cycle account executive. Um, figure out a way to put yourself in a position where you're just managing deals and closing deals and having discovery calls. Because I don't think that's something we're going to replace for a very long time. Maybe in a transactional world, we've already replaced that with PLG models, right? I don't need to talk to somebody at Calendly if I want to set up Calendly. I probably don't even need to talk to somebody at Calendly if I run a team of 30 salespeople. And I want to implement Calendly. Maybe I need to talk to a solutions person through customer support later on when I want to integrate. But ultimately, PLG has already eliminated a lot of the transactional buying that used to happen before. Especially when you say what PLG is for for the listeners. Yeah, product-led growth. So it's essentially either you offer – a lot of these tools offer like a free version of something or Mm -hmm. a free trial. It's get the user to use the tool and then restrict the access to the things that would actually make the tool much more actionable and provide real-world results for them. You can use a free version of Calendly, but there's a bunch of handcuffs that come with it. You can use a free version of HubSpot if you're an entrepreneur, but all your emails have HubSpot branding at the bottom. Mm. Kind of doesn't make you look professional, right? So it's the ability to use a free version of something um, or self-service your own ability to buy something is another way some people would think about PLG. But ultimately, it's typically offering somebody a handcuffed light beta version of something with the promise that if they want more features, functionality, um, and real world use cases out of the tool that they would pay for it. You could also think of it, uh, as I said, like I could basically service the product myself unless I want an enterprise version. Vidyard is another great example. You can go buy Vidyard for your team of 10 salespeople on your own. If you want additional features and functionality, um, you'd have to contact their enterprise sales team. So especially like think about like Salesforce though, like there are companies Mm -hmm. that just sellers are really ultimately never going to be replaced, but the majority of what we do in sales or what has been done that is needed bodies will slowly transition to AI. I don't think it's fully going to transition in my lifetime. A big majority of it will transfer though in the next five to 10 years. And then it'll be a bunch of plugging and playing. I mean, even now sales sequencing software has been around for almost a decade and people are still using CRM to do everything. There, there are still companies that don't use sales engagement platforms. So there's an adoption to it. That's going to take some time, no matter how fast AI moves. I don't think we're going to see it fully replaced in my lifetime, but there's definitely uh, you need to get ahead of the curve. If you're reliant on cold outreach as your primary uh, job function and get into a position where 
you're an account executive that is a seller talking to people that actually need that human interaction to be able to either upsell or buy a, buy a product or service for their company. All right, Chet. So let's say you and I are starting a, a consulting company. We're selling uh, business consulting to make organizations better, stronger, faster. And we want to hire a bunch of inside salespeople to set appointments for more senior sales staff. So what we're going to do is go through the how you'd build this team out, how you'd hire them. And we'll go step by step, what technology you'd use to enable them. And then we'll walk this through. So take me through the first phase. Let's say we're hiring uh, four inside sales reps. Uh, where would you find them and what qualifications would you look for? Well, it's a tough question because you're, you're talking about starting up a company. I, I actually have an entire keynote around going outbound. I wouldn't hire people to set appointments until I hit at least a million dollars in recurring revenue. So let's say um, this is happening, a million dollars worth of revenue, and now we're ready to, to have inside sales folks. All right. So the question is, what tech stack would I use? No. The first step is, how do we find them? How do we interview them? How do we hire them? Then we'll figure out what tech stack uh, after that. Well, if you're talking about services, I mean, you could probably find good folks on uh, on LinkedIn it, and, and Indeed as well. It depends on the aptitude. Do we want someone who's 60-40 setting appointments, handling discovery calls? Do we want mm -hmm. someone who's handling discovery calls? Do we want someone who's just full setting appointments? Um, I think if you're going to go for – my recommendation is I, I fully believe like SDRs can be a thing. There's still value to them, just appointment setters. But I, I say like try to find a dual threat. Go find someone that can set appointments and also handle discovery calls. Mm. Um, I think LinkedIn is a great source for that. I would personally start out in my own network first of people that I know that can do the job that I trust. I would look for people who make noise. Uh, like, for example, if I started working at a company that sold a marketing service or a marketing product, I would go find the top 10 marketing MarTech platforms out there. Mm -hmm. And I would look at their company and I would see which of their account executives are most active on LinkedIn because they already have traction with buyers. They probably already sold accounts. Um, they already have a network of their own. They're probably involved in communities. That's a huge source of lead generation for my company. Nice. So I think that's a, that's a good place to start. There's a lot of measurables to it. Um, I mean, you don't have to use LinkedIn. You could go on Indeed. I know a lot of companies that don't even sell SaaS products that don't even have LinkedIn followers of their company, and they're making $25, $30 million in annual revenue um, doing other things. So it, it just it, it, you have to really draw it down to your, your business niche. But I would say look for someone who can generate their own appointments, not just by cold calling, but by their own network. Mm -hmm. I, do like, I do like industry relevance. If I'm looking for those kind of people, I know people, there's this whole thing about, oh, you know, you can train someone, don't hire for experience. Yeah, those are mostly recruiting companies that are taking people that were flipping burgers 10 months ago, right. trying to implement them at software companies that are selling me this idea. I don't believe in that. I don't think you have to have software experience specifically, but great example, if I'm selling an insurance CRM, I'm going to go look for someone who sold insurance, who I might be able to get on a discount because they haven't been a SaaS seller before. They've never mm -hmm. sold software, but at least they understand the insurance industry. They have that network. They have those connections. Um, and I know some people say, well, I was a great seller at a company and I didn't have any connections. Yeah, but that company probably dropped a lot of money on marketing and had high CAC customer acquisition costs to be able to bring you the business to be able to close. You might be a good closer, but I want people that have relevant industry connections or can at least speak to those people or know that world that those people have lived in. Makes perfect sense. And uh, oftentimes people look really pretty when we're hiring them. And uh, then we get to see the reality of who they are. 
or they have good skills, but they need better skills. What kind of training do you, uh, regiment do you suggest? Yeah. And that's the thing. If you come off too good in your interview, I probably wouldn't hire you. Um, because top performers are typically lone wolves and they're, they're toxic in an environment and they mm -hmm. become toxic leaders. Um, I want the person who's on the brink of, of, um, uh, perfection, you know, perfect is the enemy of great. So if you come off perfect in your interview and you're, I made president's club, 120% to quota, I'm a mm -hmm. rock star. Uh, you're probably the person who steals leads from people in the CRM. You go behind people's backs, taking their closed lost opportunities outside of touch rules. Um, you're probably writing sketchy deals that churn within six months. You're just a nightmare to deal with. So those top performers are typically lone wolves. They're toxic in a team environment and they have no business being future leaders. Mm -hmm. So I hire for people that I think could be future leaders. I want to hire the builders. One of the ways that I scope for this is uh, actually thanks to co-host of my podcast, the sales RX podcast, Billy Stein. He has this great interview question and he says, tell me about a time where you had a conversation with your most recent manager. You both disagreed. What was the topic? What was the disagreement about? What did you come to them with as a resolution? And what was the end result of that conversation? And that shows me that you've actually experienced one of these situations before because we're going to experience that together. So you've recognized it. You know how to handle it. You're, you have the emotional EQ to actually work with me as a sales mm -hmm. leader who believes in hard work and activity and is very metrics driven. Um, and you're not BSing. Like somebody can't fabricate a story that fast, no matter how good of a seller you are. Yeah. So it's one of those things where like people always fabricate, like everybody's a great listener and a quick learner and all that stuff, but you can't fabricate that story. You have to actually think about it. So when somebody pauses for a second and they go, hmm, and then they deliver an answer, I know that they had to reflect when somebody sits there and goes, oh yeah. So like this one time I, I knew immediately, like there's no way that answer is hitting you top of mind that fast. I want someone who's actually going to reflect and give me that answer. And then the way that they kind of deliver it, I understand like how serious do they take conflict resolution? And that's one where I go, I could work with this person because they can take feedback. Feedback is always personal. I mean, you're telling someone they're not good at something, but how well do you overcome that and try to find a healthy middle ground with the person you're working with to understand their point of view because they've been there and done that, but also demonstrate that what you're doing is from learned experience, but you're always open to learning more. By the way, uh, give an attaboy to your partner. That's a freaking great question. Yeah, he's uh, I mean, he's been doing this for a really long time. He also has another great question that he asks, um, and it says he says it helps me understand how you problem solve. But he says, we have a dinosaur egg. We want to put it on exhibit and monetize it. What's the first thing you would do? And he's like, there's multiple different ways that you can go. Like, get nobody's going to answer the same way. No, yeah, don't get cracking. Yeah. yeah, nobody's going to answer it the same way. But he said it helps me understand how you problem solve. Right. Because some people start at the end. Some people start with the next step. Some people start with the overall plan. So it just helps me understand, like, are you a planner? Are you reactive? Are you a big-minded goal person? Like, what does that look like? Are you reverse engineer? Which is when I, when he asked me that question, I gave him my response. He goes, ah, so you're a reverse engineer. Like, you like to start at the end and work your way backwards to figure out what your next step is. And uh, that's a pretty cool question, too. So shout out to Billy for some great interview questions. The guy's an absolute beast. Ah, excellent. We should have him on the show as well. Uh, the... So now you've got people, you're giving them the training they need, the ongoing coaching and uh, keeping their uh, head straight. Uh, talk to me about that because just leaving them on their own devices, you know, some people are really good at that. Some people actually need that touch with the sales manager to just really kind of stay in the zone. Nobody's really good at it. Autonomy is a, autonomy is a lie that we've been told in the work from home environment. Um, if you were great at autonomy, you wouldn't be a seller anymore. You'd be in a higher, 
higher place than where you're at. It's my opinion. Um, the people that excel at autonomy are entrepreneurs and leaders. It's like a it's like a skill. Like think about a video game. If you're playing and you're a character and you get skill points, experience points, and you add skill, that's kind of like the thing that you're building towards at the end is like your autonomy ability because it's tough. I've been an entre- I'm an entrepreneur now. I was an outside seller for many years. I really only spent two years in inside sales doing this whole rigmarole. So I've always been responsible for like my own time management and thinking about running a business within a business. So I've, I've gotten that skill over time, right? But a lot of people aren't good at it. Um, I li- Listen, I have, I have a wife and three kids. I can tell you that there's no way with three kids that my wife could work a job right now with the age right. of our kids and what's required. So when well, I see people that are selling and they're like, oh, my husband works full time. I don't have anybody taking care of the kids. I'm like, I guarantee you're probably not putting in at least 20 hours of work a week. That's nothing against working moms. It's just the nature of the world that we live in right now. Because I see that every day. And so I know that people aren't working 40 hours a week. People can't be autonomous. People need that constant, constant involvement, not micromanagement and handholding. That's a whole different conversation. Um, Micromanagement is actually something that's indicative of behaviors that the rep has displayed (laughs) the cause for it. So I always start with the benefit of the doubt. I let you be a little bit and then you follow our cadence, do what works for you. But when you start to see um, not just results, because results are in the past, we can't really change that. But when I start to notice patterns of behavior that are leading to less than desirable outcomes that make it hard for me to justify the ROI of having you in the seat, that's when we're going to do things my way. That's when we're going to implement a little bit more handholding. But you, the first step is to really create an awesome coaching cadence. I right. tell people like, hey, a weekly one-on-one for 30 minutes is not going to do it. Also, in your one-hour sales meetings, if you and the other sales leaders or SDR manager or director of sales, VP of sales, if you're doing the majority of the talking, you're doing it wrong. People don't pay attention. Have reps work, have one rep a week work with each department to actually follow part of the presentation. So you do SDR leadership updates, you do sales updates, you do product updates, have a rep each week work in tandem with that department head to be part of the presentation, call on different people, give people the opportunity to demonstrate, show, mm. be involved and be engaged. We have a million ways to measure someone's part, uh, someone's uh, KPIs performance, but we have basically no way to measure someone's participation and level of engagement. You need to get people more involved that till you get a bottom to the culture. So you need to implement then weekly sales meetings, weekly one-on-one for 30 minutes is not enough time for coaching. If you're, if you got people that are managing actual deals, you should do a weekly one hour deal review where you ask everybody to bring one deal and you don't say who you're going to call on. And it's not a matter of who needs the most help because we know that when we have 10 sellers and everybody has a deal in their pipeline to strategize with and we ask who wants to go first, it's the same three people that always offer to go. And we typically spend the whole time covering one or two of those deals. You call on someone. You say, everybody bring a deal, be prepared to talk about it. I'm going to call on someone on random. That's how deal review should be done. We shouldn't prioritize right. because there's always the top three people that always want to volunteer to, prior- to strategize their deal or it's always the same person. You should have everybody be prepared to bring a deal to strategize on and you should be calling on them because it's like a cold call review. You don't just take your top cold caller and review that call. You review the good calls. You review the bad calls. You call on people. You have them pull up their cold calls. You have them pick the call that they want to go through. Same thing when you're cold call coaching on a weekly basis. So there needs to be a weekly group coaching call. There also needs to be at least a biweekly training call where we're implementing a new a new practical and tactical insight where we're trying some different kind of method where we're going to try a new sales sequence or we're going to try a new outreach method or we're going to try a new question in our discovery calls so that's doubled down with the weekly coaching so weekly one-on-ones weekly group coaching 
when I was just a frontline manager, I did try to do also one 30 minute a week, strictly one-on-one coaching with each person. That's hard to scale in certain organizations, but to the more effect you can do that training, I'm sorry, that coaching, the better Then your sales meetings, get people involved. And then biweekly, you should be doing at least a one hour training, uh, 45 minutes at a minimum one hour. Cause you leave 15 minutes for questions and answers. And this is how you continually get people focused on. I need to be responsible for my pipeline. I need to be responsible for my behaviors, my inputs, because at some point I'm going to be responsible for demonstrating and showcasing those. And then if they look substandard and I'm not hitting quota, everybody on the team's going to know why. And the jig is going to be up. People are going to, I'm going to show my true colors and people hate that. It's the fake yeah. until you make it world attention currency. People hate being put on the spot and being shown as a fake. And you look like a fake. If you come to those calls and you're not prepared or people can see why your discoveries aren't moving forward because you're not asking the right questions and you're not following the framework and you're not following the process that we put in play and you're being lazy because you're not really working. So once you've excelled at that over time, I think you deserve and are rewarded with the autonomy until then you gotta, you gotta prove it to me with the cadence we put in place and everybody still needs handholding. Everybody needs training and development. I have three executive coaches. I'm a founder and I'm going to bring in, you know, close to half a million in revenue this year. Doesn't mean I don't need help. I still need help. I still have people that I talk to. Absolutely. One of the uh, commonalities of people that are great at what they do is they're always learning, whether that's through coaching or themselves. And one of the things I'd add to what you suggested is have your SDRs, but uh, every one of them has to teach something new each week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that just allows them to perfect their craft and also as a team, as you suggested, doing an autopsy on a really successful situation. And also, I've got a problem. How do we solve this? Like this methodology isn't working anymore. How do we make it better? And segueing to that uh, as a short tangent, then we'll come back to the tech stack. How do you uh, use LinkedIn as a tool to connect with uh, your prospects? Or are you guys using that? We are. Let me go back to what you said, because I think that's something important. You think about a sales meeting. We don't need sales to spend 15 minutes walking through their pipeline report and their dashboard. Mm. We can see that. That's we why can God see that in CRM. Yeah. That's, where you, that's where you implement those postmortems on a lost yeah. deal and those closed one analysis on a, on a closed one deal. So great, great pointing that out. People are probably wondering, well, when do I do those? I don't want to set too many calls. That's what you should be doing in your weekly sales meeting. Three minutes of department updates. People can check the dashboard. We don't need to do this whole mm. metric thing. It's just a stupid song and dance. What's the devil behind the details? Well, based on this postmortem, we can see why some of these deals are now from 38 days to 45 days average cycle. Um, but I love I love that you brought that up because people are probably wondering if they're listening. Well, when do I do that? This sounds like a lot of meetings, everybody. Do that in your sales meeting. Stop spending all this time walking through slides of numbers. People can get that freaking information on the dashboard, you know? Um LinkedIn prospecting. Yeah, I do a lot of it. Um, you know, my clients are predominantly SaaS companies just by mm. nature of the business, but we also have a lot of obviously individual sellers mm. that join programs. So I have like almost like an e-commerce product you could think of, but that's all facilitated through social media basically. Um, and then um, we target a lot of people in insurance and hospitality sales uh, just because I have experience in both of those backgrounds as well. So we built out programs for them. They're not as active on LinkedIn as the SaaS sellers and SaaS leaders, obviously, but we do use LinkedIn for a lot of prospecting. Um, we also do other things outside of that. Like we have sponsors for our podcast, sponsors for events that we do. So we're targeting people in SaaS for that specifically. Um, yeah, love using LinkedIn as a prospecting tool. Uh, so walk really- us through a strategy on LinkedIn. 
Like, what would that look like? What are the steps? Uh, I know it's different for different folks, but uh, what are you guys playing with? Well, you should be building your target account list and whatever you have in your CRM, every person mm -hmm. that you're trying to interact with outside on cold call, email, everything else that you're doing, you should be connecting with them on LinkedIn as well. Connecting with them, engaging with them, liking their content, seeing what's relevant. Uh, the LinkedIn DM world is so messy right now that my touches are a little bit lighter. Um, I, I typically like to see what kind of activity they've done recently. And so, for example, I'm working with a marketing tool right now, um, consulting them. They do AI stuff with marketing, um, helping align marketing and sales. And one of the things is when I look at marketing leaders, it's merely right now what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, loved what you said on such and such post about XYZ topic. This is one of the reasons that this tool exists as a marketing leader. I would love to see if I could put this in front of you for 15 minutes and get your feedback on what we're building. Very early stage startup, just trying to get eyeballs on right. the thing. That's the motion. You have to be very specific with your ask, very short. You can't be canned. I don't believe in LinkedIn automation. Yep. It's also a great place when you're connected with people to send a video there instead of email, mm. right? Because they're probably going to see it. It's very interesting to see that happen we also love using the linkedin voicemails on mobile because it's not there's no preview of text it's just a blue bar with a play button who's not going to press that it doesn't track if they actually played it people love opening those up so the oh, linkedin uh voicemail dms are great too but it ultimately starts with connecting you have to add that person as a connection prior to all this to be able to earn the right to engage with their content see what they're talking about, see what's important to them, send them a video, send them a LinkedIn DM. And don't just say, hey, I saw you liked Umar's post about this. Da, 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 da. I like a it's, ton of posts all day long. Yeah. Try to find something they commented on or something that was really relevant that their company posted that they liked or reshared. And not everybody's active on LinkedIn, so sometimes you won't get that insight. Sometimes they're just silent and they don't do a lot. But it still is another channel once you're connected with them to be able to send them another video, like send them another pitch via video with a Vidyard extension or send them a LinkedIn DM and just ask if they're curious and talking about the use case around the problem that you solve. Don't ask for time. Time is a finite resource. We never have enough of it. But curiosity is an infinite resource. We have an endless amount of it. So always ask if people are curious and learning more. Absolutely. Uh, what you see me doing is taking some notes here on uh, timestamps. When you say something super intelligent, I write that down. So well, now, now I'm worried I haven't seen you write down enough. <laughs> the, uh, what's going to, there's a, a ton of data out there in the world and nobody cares about data, but what they do deeply care about is insight. And you use that phrase a few times. So when they're doing a post instead of a, oh, that was a really good thing. It's like, hey, that's really brilliant. And here's how I see it. Or here's how I see another implementation creates dialogue because it's something you're interested in and you're providing them an insight. Uh, so Chet, before we wind this thing down, there's so many tech tools out there. I was at uh, the sales 3.0 conference in Vegas a few weeks ago. And there was an interesting stat and the stat was highly successful companies, sales organizations have four AI tools that they use maximum and companies that are not doing well have 20 plus tools that they're using because uh, they uh, it's like uh, let's create busy work so what would be the tech stack that you would uh, recommend people use and then if there's any ai portion to it what that would be if that's a different tech stack well yeah i always say you need your holy trinity obviously you need your crm whether it's salesforce hubspot pipe drive whatever you're using hopefully you're using a sales engagement platform outreach sales loft mix max groove um, 
if you have HubSpot, you probably have the sequencing tool in there, mm-hmm. and that'll suffice. Um, and then the other thing you need is you need some sort of dialing tool. Uh, I recommend, you know, a solution like Kixi, great mm-hmm. parallel dialer. Um, you know, it allows you to have different multiple strategies. I can have my target account lists. I can also have a wide net campaign where I'm just trying to connect with people on the phone. These are my two, 3% connect- connection rates, 5% conversion on those calls. Might be a little busy work, but you're only connecting with people when you're connected. So another, and another is it like an instant thing. You're actually just listening to it. And as soon as they say hello, instantly you're saying hello. And there isn't that delay. Yeah. You're in the queue. Yeah. Parallel dialer. Uh, you're in the queue and you wait and then you get connected and you're immediately having a conversation with someone. It's great. Uh, great tools. Um, so I always say like, get some sort of dialer with good functionality. I'm not saying a VOIP tool, Cause you can call directly out of HubSpot. If that's your CRM, I'm saying a dialer, something that I can load up, you know, I can go into a call block. I can load up a thousand names and hopefully get connected with two to three people in 30 minutes. Um, also figure out a way to strategize that maybe with your call tasks that you have to do mm-hmm. for the day, I mean, your 30 or 40 outreach tasks for calls, figure out how to get them uploaded uh, into your dialer and get those dialed. I mean, you can dial through them all in, you know, five minutes and get through that little call block of all your call tasks. And then you can do it again later in the day. So now you're doubling down your call task efforts. So that's, that's your Holy Trinity. I think a video tool is really good. Um, there's tons of I data. Use Bomb and you use a, uh... I use Vidyard just cause I've used it for mm. four years now about uh, good pre- guys. Uh, got a chance yeah. to see them in action in Vegas. Yeah. Right before, uh, COVID like January, 2020, I started using them. Uh, it was pretty nice. Um, and then obviously like, I don't know if this is sales related, so that's why I don't include it in the Holy Trinity. It typically tends to be sales ops, rev ops, but a data tool is obviously really important whether you're using something with additional functionality like Apollo, or you're using like a straight data tool, like zoom info, a lot of arguments going on and what data tool works the best right yeah. now. It's the best LinkedIn drama I've seen. Um, but once you got, once you got those, uh, those five, Settle your CRM, your sales engagement tool, your dialing tool, uh, your data tool, and your video tool. I like some point solutions like Surf. Surf is really cool. It's a LinkedIn extension. Put it directly on LinkedIn. It floats into your CRM, so you can put prospect data directly from LinkedIn. Uh, So when I prospect on LinkedIn, I see somebody I want to target. I go to their page. I press a button. It shoots all their information into my HubSpot instance company right. information, contact information, assigns them as a lead to someone if I want to, finds phone numbers, finds emails for the relevant contacts that I'm targeting. Uh, that's pretty good. And then, of course, a lot of people use SalesNav. I've actually, now that I use Surf, I don't actually use SalesNav mm. as much. I use SalesNav in a different way, a way that uh, is a secret sauce that I won't share here. Um, but it's, it's a good way to aggregate who I'm following and get some trigger account triggers and notifications from SalesNav for potential opportunities. Um, and then above and beyond that, I think it's, it's whatever works for you. I mean, there are tools like Scratchpad and Dooley. It'll take your discovery mm. calls and transcribe them and add insights and update all the fields in Salesforce. Uh, you know, there's, there's tons of little like point solutions like that. But ultimately, if you're saying like, hey, what should I be having? My core, your CRM sales engagement tool, parallel dialer, video tool, data enrichment, and then get something to supplement LinkedIn prospecting, I think is the big one. Brilliant. Chet, uh... What was the question I should have asked you uh, that I didn't? How'd I come up with the name sales doctor? (laughs) You're probably the first podcast. I didn't get that question asked. So tell me, how did the doctor come about? Well, uh, think about it. You go to, uh, you go to the doctor and a doctor that gives you diagnosis without Mm -hmm. examination is guilty of malpractice. 
And that's what a lot of people is, are doing in sales and sales leadership. Uh, we're diagnosing problems left and right, but we're not actually listening to our prospects. We're not actually doing the market research in tandem with marketing. We're not aligning with other parts of the organization. If you're a seller and you haven't had more than, let's call it four to six conversations with your CSM team about current customers, hey, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's the, yeah. that's the crystal ball of what your product's going to look like in someone's hands six months down the road. It's the story that you get to tell. Hey, we signed somebody up three months from then. You know, what's the speed to value? What's the ROI that they're getting? What is their use case? How does it attribute? Um, and we don't do that enough. We typically talk to the top sellers. How do I get good at my job? Well, that person's not going to tell you. Um, and so we're not very prescriptive about how we approach things. We just do things the way that we're told. And we're constantly misdiagnosing problems, thinking we know what's in their best interest. We are the experts, but we really need to hear them out and understand how to apply like-minded scenarios and stories. And that takes getting to know marketing better, getting to know your customer better by working with CSMs, maybe sitting in on a QBR once every quarter, I think is a valuable thing. We don't do enough of it and we just stick in our silo of sales. And so we're misdiagnosing a lot of problems and that's leading to the problems that we have. Companies aren't growing because of the economy. Companies are growing because people can't sell. We hired a bunch of people, put a bunch of bodies in seats. Google still grew. They just didn't get the growth that they expected. The revenue right. is still up. They just didn't hit the growth that they expected by putting more bodies and seats. And the reason that is, is because we promoted a bunch of people that don't have any business being in sales in positions where you had to execute. I'm sorry, but that is, that is the, the way the cookie there. crumbles. And a lot of, I've sat on 85 discovery calls in November of 2022. Mm -hmm. And I said, only one of these people has business being in sales and it's probably not their fault necessarily, but they're definitely, I can tell that there's no commitment to get better. Because if they really cared about it, they would figure it out the way that I did. And they would seek the things out that people like myself did. Um, it does have a lot to do with leadership as well. But yeah, there's a lot of bad selling going on out there. Yeah, you were talking about listening. Uh, so a lot of times your customer will tell you something. And just by you asking the right question, sometimes they get insights into their own situation. And when you call it back to them and you uh, rephrase it in some ways... Oftentimes, you let them know the actual scope of the problem or an aspect of the problem they didn't know. So, you know, talking to a lot of departments and talking to clients, you know, absolutely essential in doing your job as a salesperson because it really yeah. is being a doctor and figuring out what's going on and helping them come up with a great solution. Yeah, let them self diagnose. Great. You looked it up on WebMD. You have an idea what the problem is. Let me examine you. That might just be a symptom of a bigger issue. Hallelujah. Hey, you know what? You actually don't have frequent migraines. You have a brain tumor. We need to get you in surgery, right? Like they think they're coming in and they need higher prescription strength to leave. You're telling them, no, you actually need life-changing surgery. Um, and that's the way that you take, you know, $10,000 pain points and turn them into $100,000 problems. People live with pain, but people solve problems. I'll just change the, uh, absolutely. And my phraseology would be more marketing, take $10,000 problems and turn them into a hundred thousand dollar solutions, which here you go. Hopefully <laughs> uh, Chet, thanks so much for being on the show. I really learned a lot and I'm going to go listen to this because there was a lot of gems in there that are going to help people get better, stronger, faster. Thanks Umar. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming 
and that is the fastest way to get better results.